the string go okay? Awesome. I know, I'm like, I'm thinking, as Doug's praying, I'm like, what am I going to do? <laughs> I'm not supposed to do that while you're praying, but Doug, you did a great prayer, brother. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, my son's here. He knows music. Yeah, it's either Michael or Ward. You don't want Ward doing that. Ding, 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 ding. There goes another string. If you're visiting, we don't have this much fun normally, so we're normally pretty stuffy. So anyways, take your Bibles, go to the Gospel of John. We've been in the Gospel of John for uh, two weeks now. I actually figured out uh, we're going to be in John for 63 weeks. The Gospel of John in chapter 1. So we've been in two weeks, so 61 more weeks in John's Gospel. John chapter 1 we're going to do verses 19 through 34 this morning. John 1, 19 through 34 for this morning. Uh, oh, if you're visiting and you need a Bible, page 71 in that black Bible in the chair in front of you to the back. Excuse me, they renumber the New Testament, so page 71, actually page 70. Uh, you'll find um, uh, uh, John chapter 1. I'm going to start reading verses 19. 119 through 34. And remember, I'm, kinda, I'm reading through Greek, so I'm mixing numeric and standard with Greek, so sometimes it might sound a little odd. So I'm just, I've been doing that. It just helps me as, as I'm studying. So if it sounds kind of weird, that's, that's why I break away a little bit from numeric and standard. So uh, uh, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 19. And this is the witness of John. When the Jews sent him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, and he confessed, I'm not at all the Christ. And they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. They said then to him, who are you? So we may give an answer to those who sent us. Who do you say, or what do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now out of those who had been sent were of the Pharisees. Verse 25, and they asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them saying, I baptize by water among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said... That's how he said it. This is he on behalf of whom I said after me comes a man who has come before me for he existed before me. And I did not know him but in order that he might be manifested to Israel I came baptizing by water. Verse 32. And John bore witness saying I have beheld the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and he remained upon him. And I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize by water said to me the one upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes by means of the Holy Spirit. And I have seen, and I have testified that this is the Son of God. Excuse me.
when I was uh, like 17, 18 years old, I bought a 1969 Dodge Dart. It was red. It was sweet. I love that car. And I bought it from who would become my father-in-law. So I was much more interested in the daughter rather than the car, obviously. Anyways, <coughs> uh, graduated from high school and I went two years to San Jose State University and um, we lived on the north end of San Jose and so I had to travel it was like 30 minutes or so into downtown San Jose San Jose State University is right there in downtown Uh, and you could do the parking garage and all that stuff you had to pay a fee so I would park in the street and most students would just park in the street. I mean, it was like downtown. So there's like houses and stuff. You just park in the street and then you just walk to class, walk to on campus. So I did that every day. Uh, you know, three days a week, five days a week, whatever. Uh, one time, um, I drove to school and it's like 7, 7.30 in the morning. Well, they had things blocked off, the whole street. And there was cones set up and then they had like, you know, the caution tape. So there's cones set up and then the caution tape blocking off that you couldn't park there. There was one section that had cones over on this side and cones on that side, but this one section did not have cones and was not blocked off. So I went, oh, I can park there. So I did. Yeah. Guess what happened? I parked there, went to class, gone for like, what, a four hours, five hours. Came back, my car was gone. So I found out, you know, it was towed and all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. I challenged it in court. I went to court, and I was decked out in a tie, a suit, whole nine yards. And I said to the judge, I remember this, I said to the judge, Your Honor, that everything was marked off and blocked off, but that one section was not blocked off. So that's why I thought I could park there. He let me go. He gave me my car back with no fines. There was my testimony. There is, I testified. This is what I saw. This is what I did. I know, it's hard to believe, but it actually happened. It's true. It's a true story. Testifying. Bearing witness. It's an important aspect, like in a civil case. It's especially important when it comes to crime scenes. You have one witness, but if you have more than one witness, the more witnesses, the better. Because they testify, a witness testifies, gives evidence to what happened or this took place, or this is true, this is real. And that's exactly what you see here in John's Gospel, in John chapter 1, starting verse 19 to 34. It's so important for John the Apostle as he's writing this, and remember he's writing this to Jews and Jewish proselytes primarily, for Jews to see not just witnesses, one witness, but two or three witnesses to who Jesus truly was, is. And John's gospel is about coming and receiving Jesus, coming and trusting Jesus, coming and knowing Jesus. That's the theme. And today we'll see in these few verses, 
John the Baptist says, come. John says, come. John says to you, come. Another way to put this a long, longer way. John calls us to come to Jesus, testifying that he is supreme, he's the Lamb of God, he's the baptizer by the Spirit, and he's the Son of God. And you see these four aspects of his testimony, testifying to who Jesus is. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the one who baptizes by means of the Spirit, and he's the Son of God. I brought up the past two weeks that John is going to bring up to us who Jesus is and why it should matter to you. So why does it matter that you know, even believe this about Jesus? Why does it matter that you believe Jesus is supreme? Why does it matter that that you believe he's the Lamb of God, the baptizer by the Spirit, the Son of God? Why does that matter? Jesus is supreme. Humble yourself. Jesus is the Lamb. Your sin is taken away. Jesus is the baptizer. You now belong to him. Jesus is the Son of God. Worship him as your Lord. That's why it matters. He's supreme, you should humble yourself. He's the Lamb of God. He's taken away all your sin. We're gonna celebrate that in a few moments. He's the baptizer. You now belong to Jesus. He's the Son of God. Worship him as your Lord. That's why it matters, man. That's why it matters. Remember, to receive Jesus is to believe in him. To believe in Jesus is to know Jesus, who he is, who the Father is, all that he's done. That's what John's about. He says, come. Why? Because of who Jesus is. Come. How? By believing in Jesus, trusting in Jesus. And what happens? What does that entail? Eternal life. Well, what is eternal life? It's knowing God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's eternal life. Knowing Christ points not to just knowledge, but volition, your will. So remember, as we come to John's gospel, and really any time you read the Bible, we should not come and say, okay, how does it apply to my life? Like, like that. No. The question is, how does your life fit in with who Jesus is and what he's done? It's not about you. It's about Jesus. So John's gonna teach you who Jesus is and why it should matter to you. How does your life fit into this? It's not like, well, I need to take this out for for me. I mean, what's what's in it for me? No, no. God's doing this. How does your life fit into that? So notice how he begins John testifies first Jesus is supreme and he's gonna begin with it's not me. John's gonna say it's not about me. 
John the baptizer. It's not about me. Notice the emphasis. And this is the witness of John. And he's going to end in verse 34. I have seen and have borne witness. The same word. Testifying. Bearing witness. Yes, a testimony to the delegation from Jerusalem. But his testimony regarding who Jesus truly was or is. This is who he is. And, and what we'll see here, we'll see John trying to fade himself out and, and lift up the word and lift up Jesus because he'll know, he'll understand Jesus is supreme. That's what you'll see John do. The Baptist, that is. And John the apostle, he's writing, he's gonna show how John the Baptist did that. Now, I wanna bring up too, um, <clears throat> Verse 19, and this is the witness of John when the Jews sent him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? This word, this noun, Jews, who are these guys? In John's gospel, there's a variety of meanings for the word Jews. But most commonly, it refers to the Jewish leaders. Not all the time, just Sometimes. The Jewish leaders, and the Jewish leaders, especially from Jerusalem or Judea, and and context will tell you otherwise. But that's what's meant here in verse 19. It's the Jewish leaders. And, And these are the guys who actively opposed Jesus. They misunderstood him. And they were the ones who would seek to kill him. That's what you're gonna see in John's gospel as we as we continue on on this journey. And these Jews, Jewish leaders sent to him priests and Levites, leaders of the Sanhedrin, who were controlled by the high priest family. They wanted to know who this guy was who was baptizing Jews. Who are you? Who authorized you to do this? Who gave you this authority? You see this again, verse 25. Because they're gonna say, Why are you baptizing? Well, why is that so why is that a big deal? Proselytes to Judaism. They were baptized when they were converted to become a Jew into Judaism. You would be baptized, but actually you would actually baptize yourself. But if you were already a Jew, you wouldn't get baptized. So they're like, why are you baptizing? What are your, what are your origins? What are your intentions? What's your message? This doesn't make any sense. Who are you? Verse 20. And he confessed and did not deny and he confessed. So this is a forceful way of saying no way Jose. There's no stinking way that I am even remotely close to being the Messiah. Uh -uh, No. I am not at all the Christ. Remember, John, this John, the one, the baptizer, he'll be content to fall by the wayside and let Messiah be supreme, be first. 21. They asked him, what then are you, Elijah? John did not see himself as Elijah, even though actually Jesus called him that in the Synoptic Gospels. He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. The prophet from Deuteronomy chapter 18. He would bring in the eschatological age. That was a belief by the Samaritans. No, I'm not any of these guys. Okay, well then there's like, it's a, who do you say about yourself? Who are you then? 
Verse 23, he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Actually, John the apostle quotes a lot from Isaiah's, um, in the book of Isaiah, interesting. I'm the voice of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And the context of Isaiah chapter 40 is that of the good news to Zion because their king, Messiah, was coming. John was the announcer that Messiah was here. He was the prophetic voice. He's here. I'm the, I'm the preparation for him. It's me. But I'm nothing. It's, it's him. Verse 25, they asked him, why then are you baptizing? Uh, actually, excuse me, go back to verse 24. Some of those who had been sent were from the Pharisees. Pharisees were uh, a pious group that started in um, like the 100s BC when Antiochus Epiphanes took control of Palestine. And these guys, they observed the minute details of the law. They, they established an oral tradition on how to obey the law strictly and precisely. These end up becoming Jesus' adversaries. So it's these guys who said, well, verse 25, why then are you baptized if you're not the Christ, you're not Elijah nor the prophet? Because Jews don't get baptized. What's the matter with you? By whose authority were you baptizing these Jews? To prepare for the kingdom. and, And they didn't understand. John had insisted Jews come to be baptized unto repentance for forgiveness of sins. That was John's purpose, John the Baptist. Similar to Old Testament prophets who would call for a remnant to return to the Lord. He was the last Old Testament prophet. So John, the baptizer, he called Jews to repent lest they would not be able to receive the coming one. The Pharisees didn't get that. They didn't understand that. They understand his role. They understand his aim. They understand that his water baptizing, oh, there it is, was preparation of what was to come baptizing. They didn't understand that. So you see, John is he's trying to divert attention away from himself. It's not me. It's not me. But then notice how he transitions here. When they're asking, well, why are you baptizing? Verse 26, he's going to transition from not me, but him. And then look what happens. This is different from the synoptics from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John answered them saying, I baptize by water. Among you stands one whom you do not know. Wait a minute, what, what happened? The mode of baptism. The reason of baptism just blows away. It just goes away. He doesn't talk about that anymore. It's not about that anymore. He's not talking about that anymore. His emphasis was who, who is first, who's the focus. He's saying the person who does the baptism uh, comes to the forefront. The focus is now upon Christ. I'm not important in this whole equation. Messiah is muy importante. He's important. I'm doing what I'm called to do. I bear witness to the hidden Messiah who's so much greater than me 
Notice what he says. Among you stands one whom you do not know. Verse 27. The one who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Not me, but him. You see what he's doing? John was not even worthy to untie the strap on his sandal. Talk about great humility. Jesus is supreme. I am nothing. His whole purpose was to prepare people for him, Jesus, and for him, John, to be small. You know, slaves would take care of their masters in the first century. And the most demeaning task given to a household slave was to care for the feet of his master. I'm not worthy of that. I'm not worthy to undo the strap on a sandal. Notice how he's emphasizing the superiority of Jesus and John's lack. John was committed to Jesus being supreme and he humbled himself. Verse 28, these things took place in Bethany, another city called Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. And then notice what happens. John does the same thing. Look at verse 30. Verse 30, this is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has come before me for he existed before me. This is what he said in chapter 1 verse 15. So because of Jesus' preexistence, Jesus should have first an absolute precedence and be preeminent. It's, it's him He's supreme. He was superior to John. John wanted Jesus to increase and for him to decrease. Chapter 3, verse 30. We'll see that later. So learn from John. Why does this matter to you? Learn from John. Jesus is supreme. Let's respond to him in humility. Respond to him in humility. He is supreme. Number two, Jesus is the Lamb of God, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's a couple of things you have to keep in mind when you're reading this gospel. First, belief progresses. Because you see, it says, the disciples believed in him, Jesus, and it says they believed in him. It says they believed them and believed in him and believed in him. Wait, I thought he said just over here they believe him. You'll see their belief progresses. To see if it's true and genuine. That's what happens. So when John says here the lamb, he probably didn't think of Jesus as the Passover lamb or one of the lambs in the book of Leviticus. The other thing you see about John's gospel is this. Uh, John uh, here, and as well as others in the gospel, they will speak better than they know. You ever had like a little kid say something? And you're like, oh, that's so true. 
and yet the look has no idea what they're talking about. Like, right? But you're like, uh, they're, they're like, well, la, la. they just repeat something. They're like, oh, yeah, that's so true. Yet they had no idea what they're saying. That's what you're going to see in this gospel. These people speak better than they know. And that's what John is doing here. He's speaking better than he knew. John, here, when he says the Lamb of God, most likely had in mind the apocalyptic Lamb who would be a warrior Lamb and would deal out judgment and destruction as opposed to being an expiatory sacrifice. He wasn't thinking Jesus was the expiatory sacrifice when he said that. He wasn't thinking he was a Lamb to die. He wasn't thinking that. Now, for John the Apostle, his readers, and for us, this lamb who took away sin would be understood in a richer, fuller way, won't it? When we read this, we have the fuller understanding of what is meant by Jesus the Lamb who takes away the sin of his people. Interesting, too, is John the Apostle, he used a word for lamb that's used according to the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, the lamb. And he was probably, John the Apostle, applying this to Jesus. Even though John the Baptist, he really had no idea what he was saying when he said that. The fuller understanding. This one is God's lamb as depicted as prophesied in the Old Testament who takes away sin. And notice, who takes away the sin of the world. John, the writer, the apostle, wants to make sure we understand his sacrifice would not just be for Jews only, but for all human beings without exception. No, it's not just for Jews. This is a hot button. Big time hot button for Jews, especially Jewish Christians. What, Gentiles? For them too? Their sins are taken away? Yeah, them too. You know, what's interesting is when you meet someone who's a Jew, and they completely and totally reject their own Messiah. Doesn't it just amaze you? And here you are, goyim, Hebrew word for nations. Here you are, a Gentile, telling them about their Messiah. The prologue made it clear. He came to his own and his own rejected him. They did not receive him. But remember, it's all who receive him. Anyone who receives him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God. For them the lamb has taken away their sin. He cleanses not just Jews, but also Gentiles without exception, all without extinction. He could take away your sins too. Are you here and not a Christian? Are you here and not a follower of Jesus? Jesus can take away your sins. You can be saved. If you repent and trust Christ, he will take away your sins. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll cleanse you. He says, come, receive me. That's why he died for sinners. You can be saved. He can take away your sin. 
And that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're gonna celebrate. We're gonna come to the table with this promise. When you have that bread and that juice in your hand, you have that promise. Jesus, the Lamb of God, he's taken away my sin. You're not gonna be punished for your sin. He's taken it away. So Jesus is supreme. He's the Lamb of God. Three, Jesus is the baptizer. Verse 31 to 33. 31, I did not, New American Standard, recognize him. Literally, it's no. He didn't know him. What? He knew him? Well, he knew him, but what John is saying here, John the baptizer, when he speaks, he did not know that he was the coming one, the unique son of God. As a matter of fact, John the Baptist even doubted that later. He has had his disciples come to Jesus and say, are you the coming one or should we expect somebody else? You see that in the synoptics. But notice what he says. I did not know him, but in order that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing by water so that he may be manifested to Israel, preparing them for cleansing, preparing them for the baptism by means of the spirits. Look at verse 32. And John, this Baptist, bore witness saying, I have beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and he remained upon him. So this visible descent of the Spirit upon Jesus which John saw, it served as a sign by which he would know that this one is the coming one who baptizes by the Spirit because notice what he says, verse 33. I did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize him, that's God. Remember chapter one? There came a man sent by God whose name was John. The one who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remain upon him, this is the one who baptizes by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit coming upon him was characteristic of the coming Messiah. It was a mark that Jesus was God's Messiah, God's suffering servant. So God sent John to do a baptism, a preparation, a preparation cleansing for the Messiah. And that's why he's saying, that's why I'm nothing. I see who he is and I point to him. Because I'm meant to truly and really testify to what I've truly seen. It's him, he's the one who baptizes by the Spirit. It doesn't matter about my baptism necessarily. What matters is him. I'm just the forerunner. I'm just the preparer for him. You know, what's interesting too is in this section about John the Baptist, I keep saying John the Baptist, but John the Apostle never calls him John the Baptist. Did you notice that? Because there really is only one who baptizes. It's Jesus. He's the one who baptizes by means of the Spirit. Again, the focus is upon Jesus. Who, he would, who would be equipped to baptize others by the Spirit? This baptism would be the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy where God's people would have the Spirit poured out upon them and the eschatological age begins. This is who Jesus is. And when he pours out the Spirit, you belong to him. The last days have begun. The last days didn't begin when this whole virus broke out. The last days began when Jesus came. We are in 
the eschatological age right now. We're in the last days now. This is what Israel needed to have revealed to them. This is what the world needs to know and understand. He is the one who takes away sin and he is the one who baptizes by means of the Spirit. And you know, you're not told in any of the Gospels Jesus baptizes by means of the Spirit into what? Nobody tells you. Paul does. Jesus baptizes by means of the Spirit to put you into the body of Christ. So now you belong to him. You're part of the body now, the body of Jesus. He truly is the Messiah who pours out the Spirit on his people to bring them into his body. We now belong to him and he's inaugurated the last days. And this is the great part too. So we're celebrating the Lord's Supper today, right? Well, here's the part. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, he inaugurated the last days and then we're also looking forward to the fact that he's going to return. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're proclaiming his death until he comes again. See, this is why it matters. This is why it matters that Jesus is supreme. This is why it matters that he's the lamb who takes away your sin. This is why it matters that Jesus is the baptizer by the Spirit in number four. Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 34. Notice the verbs. I have seen and have borne witness. Jesus is the Son of God. He clearly saw Jesus and spoke with strong conviction based upon his historical sighting. Jesus truly is the Son of God. He is the Word made flesh. He is the light. Why does it matter? Because he's God. Worship him. For all you geeks out there, this is for you. Son of God, there's actually a variant here. Some translations, uh, manuscripts have elect one of God and some tr- ma- uh, manuscripts have son of God. Based upon John's emphasis that Jesus is the son, I choose the latter, I think it's the son, but you can do your own little lower textual criticism, come to your own conclusion. But I think this takes us back to the prologue which has what Jesus is the word, the God-man, the only begotten God was in the bosom of the Father who created everything. He's saying he is God in the flesh. Worship him. This one is greater than us. This one takes away our sin. This one baptizes by the Spirit. This one is the Son of God. He's superior. The Lamb, the baptizer, the Son of God. This is why it matters. How does your life fit into that? What does this mean? What are you going to do with this? Jesus is supreme. Let us humble ourselves. Jesus is the Lamb. We'll celebrate these taking away our sin. Jesus is the baptizer. We now belong to Him. We're in the body of Christ now. We have the Spirit. Jesus is the Son of God. Worship Him as your Lord. That's why it matters.
we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. And if you're a Christian, you know the Lord Jesus Christ come from a church of like faith and practice. We would prefer if you've been baptized by immersion. Preference. Partake of this with us. If you're not a Christian, it's not for you. And if you know Christ and yet you have something against someone else, Christian or otherwise, it probably be, would be better that you not partake of the Lord's Supper. First, try to reconcile with that person if you have not done so. And then come and partake of the Lord's Supper with us when we do that next time. But this is for us to remember what Jesus has done. This doesn't do anything to you. It doesn't change you. It doesn't uh, uh, create um, you more holy. Let's do that. It doesn't change in anything. It reminds you what Jesus has done. It reminds you that belief is so strong, it's like taking Jesus in and assimilating him into your life. And it reminds you that as Jesus kept his promise, excuse me, as God kept his promise to bring Jesus his son who died and rose, he's gonna keep his promise that Jesus is gonna return. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we can begin to prepare our hearts, examine your heart, remind yourself of gospel truth and the promises given to you and that you're forgiven. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you are supreme. So we come before you with humility. Realizing you are superior and you deserve our praise. Help us in that. Jesus, we acknowledge you're the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You've taken away our sin. We praise you for that. You're the baptizer. By the Spirit, you brought us into the body of Christ. We now belong to you. Jesus, you're God the Son. Where the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father. The eternal generation of the Son. We come to worship you. And we've come to remind ourselves who you are and what you've done. It's not about us. It's about you. Help us to direct our focus off of ourselves and onto you. Help us to remember that you've forgiven us of all our sin. We're undeserving of it and yet you are gracious, merciful, and kind. And this bread represents that, Jesus. This juice represents your shed blood. May it impact our hearts towards greater love, greater joy in you, greater thanks for your grace and your mercy. So take this time, if you would, please. Some time, a moment of silence. You know, we go about a minute or so for you to reflect and pour into your mind the truth of gospel grace.
Let it flow in. Fill your mind with it. And after some time of of reflecting upon the truth of the gospel, I'll bring us back together and we'll sing. But just take that moment, just about a minute or so. Examine your heart. It may drive you to gospel, the gospel of grace. Would you do that now, please? <laughs>